0: 15 Judges 15 Last time in chapter 14 we saw Samson's well wedding feast fiasco and today we're going to see the third chapter devoted to Samson's life in the book of Judges Just as a point of interest it's just so cool how when I studied the Bible I'll see something or hear something that really corresponds to what I'm studying. I don't know if you saw it in the news but there was a little boy with the genetic defect and the, g- the defect was called myostatin related muscle hypertrophy and basically in English what that means is that he doesn't produce well there's only like a handful of cases in the world and he doesn't pr- normally that in that disease or genetic defect a person doesn't produce myostatin which helps to slow down muscle growth so that fat and other things can grow and everything really needs to be in a nice harmony in our bodies but this little boy actually didn't have the receptors for myostatin. In English what that means is as a toddler he could do the iron cross somebody noticed that when they would put their hands out to hold them he would hold their hands and go like this and his feet would come off the ground like a gymnast and this little boy, at the age of um six months or a year, he was able to pick up the family couch over his head so yeah, and there's, 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 and of course, the bodybuilders want to know how they can do research, and they can get some of that stuff but um and I actually saw I googled it, and I saw pictures of uh bovine you know farm animals who had this, and you see these these bulls with like their glutes were, like, huge. I mean, they were just shiny and rock solid. But it's a defect because actually their concern is for the little boy is that if he doesn't get enough fat, you know, his, he's got such a high um, uh, metabolism and, and his muscles grow so dense that he doesn't have any fat. And they say for development, the brain needs that fat. There there's certain things that you need. You know, it's not all muscle. It's just amazing how we try to tweak the human body, but God knows best. And they're concerned about his development in other areas if he doesn't have enough fat in his system. So that's the concern. But anyway, I just as I'm studying Samson, his incredible strength, well, Samson didn't have this. Because we, we know that in the last chapter, uh, in the chapter 16 that we'll come to in a few weeks, when his hair is cut, he loses his strength. But it's just a, it's just a funny thing to look at. You could look that up later on and do a search engine of it. It's it's very interesting. So without further ado, Judges chapter 15, starting with verse 1. And after a while, in that time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, quote, let me go into my wife into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to him, This time I shall be blameless, blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught three hundred foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines, and burned up both the shocks of the standing grain and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and give her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Edom. So what do we see Here. It's another cycle of Samson being wronged and his subsequent revenge. Now, it starts out with, if you weren't here last uh, time, or i just recap it a little bit. Samson's supposed to get married. There's the whole feast, and he tells a riddle, and uh, whoever wins the riddle, if they guess the riddle, uh, Samson has to give him 30 changes of clothing. If they don't, he has to give them I'm sorry, they have to give him the 30 changes of clothing. So they, they pressure his wife and say, we're going to kill you and your father if you don't tell us what the riddle is. So she pressures him. He tells her, they tell Samson, and he's angry because he knows that they did it deceptively. So he goes and gets mad, goes down to Ashkelon, kills uh, 30 Philistines, takes their clothes and gives it to the guys he owes it to. This is this, this guy's life. But So now we're here and he's done with Ashkelon. He comes back and he figures he's going to now take his wife and be the husband. Remember the whole betrothal period and the seven day feast and they kind of were married and it was binding but on the seventh day the marriage was consummated and then you can actually you know be with each other. So this didn't actually happen the the, the last day and uh, he comes back with the goat, probably a gift for the family kind of commensurate to a gift certificate to Target or Walmart or something like that (laughs) you know in those days. So the father-in-law says to Samson, basically, um, I gave her to your best man because I thought that you didn't you hated her. Uh, but how about my younger daughter instead? Times must have been really rough for women back then. But Samson responds. <laughs> Samson responds with anger and it's, and says, "Listen," and I, I like to paraphrase because it's you know it's neat, but it's my paraphrasing. He basically says to the father, "This time, what I do to the Philistines will be justified." You almost get the sense that he thought in his mind that what he did in Ashkelon wasn't really justified, but he did it out of anger. But this time, what I do to the Philistines is going to be justified. Now, Samson is supposed to destroy the Philistines because they're God's enemies, but so far he's only destroyed the, the Philistines when they became his enemies. A little important uh, picture there, a uh, difference. So Samson burns the Philistine fields. He gets. I'm glad my wife wasn't here tonight because she's an animal lover. But he takes 300 frenzied foxes, and according to the Hebrew, uh, some scholars say that it actually could have been jackals, hyenas, because they travel in packs, so he maybe would have been able able to catch them easier. And uh, who knows if the animals got hurt or not. Um, I don't know if there was a disclaimer that said no animals were hurt in the making of this movie. Probably not. But he ties their tails together, puts a torch. I don't know, this guy is so creative in what he does, if he just would have used that, the creativity to serve God, uh, things would probably be a lot better. So he sends them through the fields. Apparently they do a lot of damage. They not only destroy the wheat fields but the the vineyards, and they're running like crazy with these 300 torches, and everything goes up in flames. So what's the Philistines' response? Kill Samson's uh, former wife and father-in-law. Did you expect anything less from these guys? So a little bit of disturbing portion of Scripture tonight. Samson's response you made me mad again I'm going to take revenge and then I'm going to stop and you see a lot of that he says I'm going to take my revenge and that's going to be it but we see a cycle with Samson personal revenge and then he stops and then it's almost as if he's waiting for the next folly the next folly comes he takes revenge then he stops then he waits for the next folly and this is what's going on this, this crazy cycle here But he was supposed to continue to destroy the Philistines because that's what God wanted him to do. But, again, it was based on his personal issues. Now, if you contrast David, King David, even when he was a youth, he fought God's enemies because they were God's enemies. That was his primary motivation for fighting God's enemies because he wanted to avenge God's enemies. Samson here does it usually pretty much for personal reasons. Now, I mean, I'm going to guess that if Samson amassed an Israeli army in the beginning, he could have been done with the Philistines a long time ago and he could have saved himself a lot of headaches my personal opinion. But some lessons that we can learn from this. Number one, God gives us direction for our own good. (laughs) He gives us directions for our own good. The trouble we get into is when we try to take God's direction for our life and we tailor it or we adjust it or we massage it or we manipulate it to fit our own personal desires. God says, do this. And we say, that's nice, but if I could just tweak that and shave off this, you know, I think it would work out better. God, what do you think? And we do that. How many times have you heard, but my situation is unique? I mean, usually when someone's taken up in sin, I tell you, I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've heard it, but you don't understand my situation. Okay, I know what the Bible says. Yeah, but you don't understand my situation. It's unique. It's almost as if God's up there going, can you imagine God saying, Gabriel, stop the presses? I've never seen that before. We need to make an exception for that person in our word here. You know what I'm saying? So th- this is what you have going on in God's word, of course, but... Two, Samson is a picture of selfish motives under the cloak of religious zeal. I mean, the question is, when we fight battles, sometimes we fight battles as Christians and we say, this is righteous indignation. Um, do we fight the Lord's battles or do we fight our own battles? Or do we fight our own battles and cloak it and saying, it's under the Lord's battles, right? And there's certainly a litmus test in the scripture. Because those two can often seem similar under self-delusion. In verse 8, Samson takes revenge and then takes a break at Edom, um, the last verse, and it says it was a great slaughter, hip and thigh. Well, it's similar to our hand over fist, okay? It's just an expression. It was a great slaughter. So some of the uh, colloquialisms back then, it helps when they're explained. Verse 9, now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah, now remember these are Israeli men, say, Why have you come up against us? So the Philistines answered, We have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? (laughs) Newsflash, Samson. What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand. But we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Now, Philistines are very angry at this time. They're looking for revenge for the monetary destruction that was done to them. So they amassed themselves against the land of Judah in Israel, which is the southern area of of Israel. Now, this is how bizarre it gets. Three thousand, right, of the oppressed Israelites, instead of fighting the Philistines, come after their judge, Samson. Now, I was wondering if anyone thought to themselves, hey, newsflash, this guy Samson, maybe he's somebody that we could use to be our leader and fight the Philistines. But they go to Samson and say, listen, these guys rule over us. You're causing problems here. We got to work this out. Instead, the Israelites didn't want Samson to make waves and rock the boat. You know, this is a picture of being enslaved to sin. These Philistines were a picture of sin. They were brutal people. You saw what they just to just to win a bet. What they uh, threatened to kill Samson's wife and and father-in-law, and d- he, they were threatening their own people. Okay, uh, they oppressed Israel. They were a picture of sin. They were um, just a constant irritant to the the Israelites. But the folks got so used to their, their subjugation that they got used to it. Instead of calling out to the Lord and saying, you know, we need to throw the yoke off the Philistines off of our back, they became enslaved to it. And you know what? You see that in the world. You see that in Christianity. People who have such a pattern of sin and so enslaved to sin that it, it dominates them and almost as if they don't want to be freed from it. So much so that they can have anger at those that may be trying to help them. They say you see it in the world, the drug user who steals from his loving family, who burglarizes and, and takes his mother's jewelry and hocks it because he needs drugs. Um, but then in the Christian culture it also happens. Uh, there is dysfunction among Christians too. Many would rather surround themselves with folks that tell them what they want to hear versus those that tell them the truth in love. Proverbs twenty-seven six says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Christians can sometimes compartmentalize their beliefs here and their lifestyles here, and never the twain shall meet. And they can't keep them separate in compartments. But this was Samson's big opportunity to give the men, I believe, a strength demonstration. I mean... I'm just picturing the thing, 3,000 3, guys come up to Samson, they work out this deal. I, I mean, if Samson, you think that he would say to them, guys, guys, check this out. I heard from the Lord, and I'm supposed to destroy the Philistines. You see that boulder over there? Can you guys lift it? I didn't think so. Look at me. Look, I can lift it. I'm your leader. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Instead, he's like, okay, bind me, don't kill me, promise me, and you can deliver me over to the Philistines. So uh, Samson, in essence, I believe this is a personal squabble. It's personal between me and them, just send me over to them and I'll handle the rest. I'll keep you guys out of it. Verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey I have slain a thousand men. You don't, it doesn't really come out in the English, but I, I did a little research on it, and the way it comes out in the Hebrew, it, it almost comes out like a, a victory song. Okay, so you see the quotation marks there. And so it was when he had finished speaking, then he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath Lehi. Uh, Ramath Lehi literally means jawbone hill. So they would often take a a place of victory or a place of struggle or a place of challenge or a place where somebody died and name it in the Hebrew. they, They gave very sentimental names to these places, so it was called Jawbone Hill. Now, this is the famous story that most people know about Samson, slaying a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Obviously, even if somebody was that strong, the exhaustion, you know, when your adrenaline kicks in, you only have a few minutes, he'd be dead from exhaustion. Obviously, this was supernatural. Obviously, somebody humanly couldn't do this. But what I find interesting is he killed a 1,000 men. I wonder if they just kept closing in on him, the guys at the outer circle saying, why isn't this over yet? There's only one guy. And, you know, maybe they didn't run. Maybe they just kept closing in, and he just killed more and more and more until the body pile uh, came up. But if there was a 1,000 men, the men of Judah had 3,000 men. They were so terrified of those 1,000 men that they gave up Samson. It's just the little things I, I, I look at. But what else do you notice? As a victory of a result of the spirit of the Lord, what does Samson say? I have slain a thousand men. I'm not trying to pick, well, I guess I am trying to pick apart his words. And as we go through the rest of it, try to make some sense of it. It's a good lesson for us. God help us if we ever take credit for something, especially that the spirit of the Lord mightily comes upon us to do. And I'm sure we've all been in that situation, whether you're witnessing to somebody or you've just been delivered from a situation or God gives you a great idea and, you know, it's a a salvation to your problems. And I think probably all of us have been in the boat at times where we've said, wow, I I really got past that one or, you know, I did it on my own. Hopefully, as believers, we more say it was the spirit of the Lord, you know, give God the credit than take the credit ourselves because that's a bad place to be. Verse 18. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, now he's, watch this, it switches, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name Enhakor, which literally means spring of the caller, which is in Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel 20 years and the day of the Philistines. So you see, there's a little change here. Now Samson calls on the Lord. Um, honestly, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the three chapters we've read, this is the first time it's recorded that he actually calls on the Lord, and he has a need. He's thirsty. He's probably just totally spent from, from killing all these guys, and he's, he's thirsty, and it's, he needs some water. So he calls on the Lord because there's it, it a need there. Some people say, well, maybe Samson gave God the glory, but I think this is more of a manipulation tactic. I mean, who hasn't done that in prayer? I mean, let's just be honest, the people of God. How about, God, if you heal me from this affliction, I'll be able to serve you more. That's not manipulation in prayer. You know, if we're really suffering or struggling from something, how many of us say, you know what, Lord, whatever your will is, and mean it versus, Lord, if you could just heal me, you know, I'm on a roll, I'm witnessing to people, I'm serving you, you know, this would be better for the both of us. It's a manipulation tactic. Or God, if you give me this promotion, I'll be able to be more generous. I'll tithe more. I'll help people out more if I could get this promotion. It's a manipulation tactic versus, Lord, your will be done. Or how about, God, if you blank, fill in the blank, then I'll blank. What is it? It's a conditional statement. God, if you will do this, then in return, I will do this. Instead of God, your will be done. Anybody? You know am I the only one who's done this? <laughs> okay. So, in closing, it's no surprise to find that Samson is a very impulsive kind of guy. Here's a guy that I've never seen so far take responsibility for his actions, take responsibility for disobeying God, take responsibility for um, taking God's power and using it to his own gain. And also, I don't see I don't see him praying through his decisions. The only time I saw him praying was when he was thirsty and he thought he was going to die. He said, Lord, I need some water. I'm going to fall into the hands of the Philistines, or the, the uncircumcised. He just acts on fleshly impulses time and time again. And when we act on every impulse, what do we learn? We make a fool of ourselves. I know that when I've acted on my impulses, I've made a fool of myself. You know, what I do, this happens, and I have to react like this. That's a problem. It, it can hurt our character. And also it can cause nothing but heartache and failure. At times, um, you know, and and I look at my life before I was saved and I would say I was more impulsive and uh, after I was saved. And after I was saved, I added two steps to my life that made all the difference in the world. Number one was prayer and making decisions biblically based, really. And the other one is waiting on the Lord. You know, it's something that we need to do as believers. And um, poor Samson here, you know, he gives us an example, really, of what not to do. Samson, his life is a picture of a whole list of things that what not to do, Uh, certainly as a believer or somebody that calls ourselves people of God. My desire going through this study is that we learn that our decisions have consequences. Make sure we pray through them and make sound, biblically-based decisions. Let's pray.